Wrestling should be fun. Should be fun. Wrestling should be fun. Wrestling should be fun. Should be fun. Wrestling should be fun. G'day, scholars, and welcome back to the Wrestling Should Be Fun podcast. It's what the nerds are watching. I'm your host, Dom Phil, on the mic. Not too hard, not too soft, but just right. We're coming to you free of charge every single week on Apple, Spotify, SoundCloud, wherever you get your podcasts from. Best way for you to support is to rate, review, subscribe, the holy tri-colon. Why don't you add this to your social media as well? Maybe if you've got a Twitter, it's probably why you found us. It's WSBFUN on Twitter. Uh, wrestling should be fun. It's wrestling should be fun, all one word, on Instagram. Maybe you want to tweet this out or add this to your Instagram story. Maybe you want to TikTok it out if you're under 15. Maybe you want to add it to Facebook if you're over 45. Maybe you want to put it on Be Real or something that I don't even know what it is. Or, you know, ring your mom, write a letter to your man, or act this out on a balcony with your family and friends as a play for your local community. I'm told that it all works. This is episode 71, and we've got a banging preview for Progress Wrestling Chapter 145 in the ballroom this Sunday, Wrestling Witchface. But most importantly, dear listener, I am joined by a very, very special guest. This is one half of the first ever Progress Wrestling Tag Team Champions, a former Progress World Champion, a WWE superstar, the pride of Wales, it's Eddie fucking Dennis! Hey, what's up, Karen? How you doing, Dom? Ed, mate, it's so good to have you. I'm very well, thank you. How are you getting on, man? Yeah, I cannot complain, my friend, cannot complain. Mate, I'm pretty sure you're getting ready for a wedding, aren't you? You must be keeping busy with that. How's, how's all that going? We'll have a 15-second wedding chat. I am, yeah. So it's uh, eight days away. Um, our house is full of... It kind of reminds me of the old Attack Pro shows where there's cardboard stuff cut out everywhere, all over <laughs> the place. Uh, it feels like that. There's a lot of DIY things going on here. Um uh- yeah, I got I got blisters on my hands. I would say it's like lesson planning, but I never planned a lesson in my life. So <laughs> textbook, mark your own, green pen, sounds good. Hey, that's uh, that's the beauty of being a maths teacher. Yeah. Though, we math. said we'd pull them back the uh, the fourth wall here, and we were like, yeah, we won't talk too much about teaching. Fifteen uh, seconds in, not even supposed to be here today. I, uh, I'm the one who did it. It's my fault. <laughs> I'm the one who said, hey, let's not talk about teaching again. All anyone ever does <laughs> is talk about being a teacher. And there I bring it up. So that's all me. Mate, is there any truth to the rumor that you're thinking about doing the test entrance for your wedding and having a party hard as you walk down the aisle? Uh, there, I cannot confirm nor deny if party hard will feature in my wedding. <laughs> Outstanding. I like, I genuinely have, you know, wrestling, wrestling should be fine as a collective. I'm here on my own tonight flying solo with you, Ed, in a two-man booth. But people have given me a few questions along the way as well, some of the other boys. One of our lads, uh, JCH, he really loves Rise Against, and he wanted me to ask, and you it's definitely can't confirm nor deny, but he wanted me to ask whether Rise Against Swing Life Away might be involved in the wedding at all. Do you know what? I'm not sure if Swing Life Away is on our playlist, but that is a beautiful song and I am a huge Rise Against fan and everything from Siren Song for a Country Culture, which Swing Life Away is on, and before that is absolutely magical. Um, yeah. The Witness is okay and then everything after that's pretty pants. But yeah, um, <laughs> I love Swing Life Away, but I'm not sure it is involved in the wedding, but it is a beautiful song. Perhaps I will reach out to the wedding band and see if they can learn it in the next eight days. 
everyone knows that music reached perfection in 2006, right? Like, that's about the sweet spot for music, I think. I mean, there's been some, like, Lizzo didn't come out until later on, and she's pretty magical herself. So Yeah, that's, that is true. Some good music since 2006, but it's certainly <laughs> a sweet spot, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Mate, the other, the other sort of life question that I've been asked to put to you is just to check in on Terry Watch. And this is, this is a very risky question because I haven't heard many updates on your pets, but is Terry still going okay, mate? Do you know what? I actually did post a picture of Terry on Twitter the other day. So you're obviously not paying close enough attention to my social media game at the moment, Tom, <laughs> because Terry is doing well. Yes, he is. Um, he's a little scamp. He's a little tear away. He had finally found his. Uh, so he's a. Uh, as, as a background to anyone who's listening to this podcast and hasn't heard me ramble on ad nauseum about my cat, Terry. Uh, he is a rescue cat from Batsy Cats and Dogs Home. We love him dearly. And I think his mummy didn't teach him how to behave. So uh, despite her best efforts, he does like to scratch. He does like to claw. He does like to nibble. But we love him all the same. And there are a lot of cats on our estate. And it took him years and years and years of getting beaten up because he didn't know how to socialize with other, other cats to finally find his little place within their pecking order. And he was comfortable and having a good time. I was never getting into any fights. And like two new Tomcats have moved into the estate in the last six months. And he's getting in fights every single day again. And it's a nightmare because you got to go and take him to the vet and get him antibiotics. Oh, and... He's got scratches and scabs all over his face. And anyone would think that I'm a terrible cat owner, but I'm not. I'm an absolutely wonderful cat owner. This is my <laughs> poor little cat. Cannot help but get in rumbles with people. And unlike his pops, he's not so good at the grappling in sport. Yeah. So he ends up coming up on the short end of the stick. That's all right, though. You know, everyone loves an underdog or an undercat. Yeah, I mean, Terry is, he is the quintessential underdog. Yeah, that's cool. You know, white meat baby face. That's it's all good. It's all good. <laughs> I mean, I'm not so sure he behaves like a white meat baby face, to be honest. Yeah. He definitely, <laughs> the, the, the one reason why I can't really go around the neighbors' houses and be like, you need to keep your cats under control is I'm 99% sure these fights that my cat is losing on a day to day basis are fights that he is starting on a day to day basis. So. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, yeah, I'm sure you're doing the best you can. He'll, mate, you know, he'll, I'm sure he's still mature. You know, he'll find I know you've way. had him for a while. He'll, he'll find his way back into the packing order, I'm sure. Yeah, of course, mate. Of course. Hey, I uh, I wanted to say up front here, like the, the plan for today, dear listener, as well, is we're going to do a bit of a progress preview towards the back end and just going to catch up a little bit uh, with how Eddie's been going in the last few years, really. I mean, as progress wrestling fans, I mean, I, I feel like you've just disappeared off the face of the earth, mate. I haven't seen or heard nothing of you in the last few years. So we really need to catch up with what you've been up to. Um, I wanted to just kind of give a bit of a shout out, actually. I'm not just saying this. Genuinely one of my favourite long-form podcasts ever is when you sat down with Jim Smallman a few years back. I think it might have been 2017. And really I think that that podcast, it it just completely covered so much of your early career and um, a lot of the stuff about, you know, being head teacher. So if you want any of that content, dear listener, just on your podcast provider after you rate, review and subscribe to this one, just uh, hit up Eddie Dennis TNJ and you'll find it. It's great bit of gear. So we're kind of going to try to do the last few years then, if that's okay with you. That's great with me. Stop driving!
All right. So uh, now after I'm saying this, I'm going to completely do the opposite. <laughs> Our first question, always on wrestling should be fun, though, is we love to hear about childhood wrestling fandom. So oh, nice. uh, mate, give us a bit of a, a bit of a clue into what it's like growing up for you. Are, are, you're, you're a lifelong wrestling fan, right? Like, yeah, lifelong wrestling fan, absolutely. So um, I was kind of um, maybe a little shy as a kid. My dad took me to um, some karate classes when I was younger, maybe like five years old. Uh, and I got quite into that. I really enjoyed it. So then WCW was on Channel 4 or S4C in Wales late at night. So I'm 36 now, so I'm an 86 kid. So we're talking like 1990, 1991 maybe. So he used to tape that for me and then I'd watch it in the day and I really liked it. And then we had neighbours down the road who had Sky so um, they used to tape some of the WWF stuff and I used to watch that. And then the Hasbro figures became a big thing. And I remember the first Christmas where I had the WCW wrestling ring toy with the red cage for people who know that one. Oh. Um, and yeah, I had a Lex Luger figure and a Sting figure. And again, for people who know this stuff, like the WCW toys weren't so good. They didn't move at all. They were like in, yeah. one, in one position. But then I also had like a Hulk Hogan that did a gorilla press slam and a warrior that did a gorilla press slam and a Jake the Snake that came with a little snake. And yeah, so I think that while I was a child, I watched it all the time, like an incredible amount. But my fandom was as much around figurines as it was around pro wrestling. So I absolutely adored pro wrestling figures i spent all of my money on pro wrestling toys uh to a point where i used to get i can't remember what age i was but at a certain age um we had a canteen at school and my mum used to give me one pound 20 uh a day to go into school and uh buy food and i didn't used to buy food all week so i had six pound by the end of the week and i could go into town and buy a wrestling toy because they cost 5.99 <laughs> that's amazing that's brilliant stuff what great control from you as a child as well to like not go and get yourself a meat pie or whatever might be in the in the canteen in wales i figured that yeah. maybe I'm, i must have like used to steal a bunch of stuff from the house before leaving because <laughs> and then me and my sister used to get the school bus a little bit later so i probably had enough time to raid the fridges stuff it in my bag and then save my one pound twenty are you like, as a kid, talking about school a bit? Like, are you the wrestling kid, or were you mindful of like other kids that were into it as well? So, I guess when when we were really young, when I was like five or six, again, that's like the really early nineties, and me and all my friends used to like it um, when we were in like primary school. Yeah. And then when it got to like the mid nineties, I was definitely the wrestling kid because popularity of wrestling fell off a cliff in sort of 93, 94, 95, 96 when I was, yeah. you know, uh, just, I guess, from sort of like 7 to 10, 11 years old, th those kind of ages. Um, but I still absolutely loved it during that whole time. So I was definitely the kid who loved pro wrestling then. And then in 1997, 98, when it became popular again, like Attitude Era, so in 98, I would have been 12. So I was moving up into secondary school and it became really popular again. And I almost like a little bit like when you have like that guy just mentioned Rise Against, so a prime example of like a little bit like if you have like a band that weren't very big and you love them and you have like ownership over them and then they become this huge thing and you're a little bit resentful that everyone else likes them because you're a bit like, 
you don't like it the same as I liked it. I liked it when no one else liked it. And I yeah. definitely felt like that in like 1998, 1999, because it all of a sudden became super popular at school. And I was a little bit resentful of it because I felt like I understood the characters way more than them because I'd watched them develop when no one else was watching it, you know? It's so funny you say that, though, because I bet there's a large contingent of people listening to this right now who feel that way about yourself and all your mates, you know, like mm. Rick Rest's guys made good and they, like, I mean, obviously it's great to see your guys succeed and we want, you know, obviously wrestling should be fun. We're, we're behind everyone. We want everyone to get paid. We want everyone to be, you know, successful. But there's always that 1%, isn't there, of like, oh, these are my guys. You guys don't understand. Uh, you should have seen them in the ballroom. You know? Yeah, 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 hundred yeah. percent. I never even considered that, but that's such a such such a good point, man. Such a good yeah. point. And I'm almost humbled at the thought that, like, the way I consider like a band like Rise Against, who then yeah. you know signed to Geffen Records and are performing in front of forty thousand people, and I'm a bit like, no, you don't like them the same way as I like them. Um, yeah, that there would be people thinking that about myself and my um, my artistic outlet is super humbling. Yeah, mate. One, it's one hundred percent true. I'm telling you now that, and and I'm I'm just one. You know, I'm sure <laughs> there's like, and I know that you know this is a it, it predominantly a progress podcast. You know, it's it's our home promotion in the same yeah. way as I guess it's somewhat your home promotion. So uh, I'm sure that a lot of people relate to that definitely. So, mate, we're going to jump right ahead. We're fast forwarding. We're going to jump 20 years of your life probably now. And we're going to go all the way through to your time with the WWE, with NXT UK. I I made a bit of a joke before about, you know, you disappeared for a few years. But um, (laughs) here on the Wrestling Should Be Fun pod, we're, well, Ross especially, massive, massive fans of, of what was the UK product there for a while. When you first get signed up, I really want to know, did you notice any major differences as you walk into that locker room for the first time? Or did you just feel like, oh, these are my mates. Um, I've been around these guys forever. It's it's just pretty much the national indie now. Yeah, our experience was, you've kind of already knocked the nail on the head there. Because I think for the NXT UK crew, not everyone in the crew, but the vast majority of people in the crew, it was a very different experience to get signed to WWE than what I imagine the vast majority of independent talent that do because prior to something like the formation of an NXT UK, you work with a group of peers on the independent scene for close to a decade. And then a handful of you may be a cherry picked and get the opportunity to go there. And now you're surrounded by a completely different cohort of people. But obviously with the NXT UK thing, what happened was we would walk into those locker rooms for the NXT UK television tapings. And it was all the people who were in the locker rooms at the attack shows, at the fight club shows, at the progress shows, at the chaos shows, at the ICW shows, whatever the case may be, you know, it was the same guys. So it was a very, very, very familiar experience in that sense, in the locker room with the boys, a little bit different with regards to obviously at an independent, you'll just become accustomed to arriving at the venue, you know, a couple of hours before the doors open, maybe sometimes as the doors are open, maybe sometimes after the doors have opened, you know, um, yeah. and you'll do all of your business before going out there and performing in a very short amount of time, often in a very small space. But 
obviously at WWE, we would we would be arriving at the venue in the morning. There would be catering and lunch and dinner, and you know, there'd be various different call times for different rehearsal schedules and all the rest of it that you had to go through and making sure that your entrance was on point and that the lighting was in the yes. right places and all these things. And that stuff was different, you know. Absolutely, working with producers and agents and writers and stuff is all a different experience from the independents. But yeah, how did, how did you? Camaraderie didn't change at all. How did you find it? Like, I mean, I know that's a really open and generic question, but like, was it a culture shock for you, or were you, did you really take to it? I, I guess coming from a you know a background where teaching is such a heavily routine job, every minute of the day is planned, isn't it? Like, did you yeah. take to that, or did you find it challenging? There are elements of it that I loved. I loved getting a whole, like, so if you're going to do a, a WWE show, typically you're going to be staying in a nearby hotel the night before, you know, you're going to get breakfast in the hotel in the morning, maybe do a little workout in the hotel gym in the morning. Then you're going to be on the bus from the hotel with the rest of the talent at sort of 11am arriving at the venue you know, getting your, your catering lunch and then you're on with, you know, your daily activities. And I love that. Like, I'm I'm kind of like, a, I'm a, I'd rather be two hours early than one minute late kind of person. Yeah, yeah. I love that everyone was in the room. I love that everything was organized. Um, I love that you were arriving in the city the night before and checking into a hotel and getting to get a good night's sleep and, and that everything was taken care of and you didn't have to worry about any of that kind of stuff. I loved all of those elements of it, for sure. Yeah. Um, with regards to the other parts of it, you know, the actual process of putting together matches and things, that artistic freedom and stuff, I almost consider the pandemic era of empty arena pro wrestling for WWE to be more different to the arena WWE than WWE as a whole was to the independents, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. It's a com- I, feel I, like, I, I feel like performing at a takeover really was very similar to performing on a hot indie. Yeah. Whereas I felt like performing in an empty arena in Enfield Studio in yeah. the uh, Park in, in, in BT was yeah. a, a different beast entirely. I felt like that was completely different to what we were doing in front of a live audience. So that change yeah. was almost more jarring and more challenging than the change from independence to arena shows for WWE. Was there anything like specific that you could point to for us just as people who haven't experienced it? Like obviously, we, you know, it's empty arenas. We weren't there. Like, were there specific things that you were mindful of that you were like, okay, tonight, or like I've had to learn to do this differently? Is it a different way of working? Yeah, I mean, as wrestlers, we're obviously performers who feed off of, and, and different people will do it more than others. And if someone has seen me uh, on a show, I would like to think that I'm I'm heavily reliant on feeding off an audience's energy, you know? Of um, so I live for that moment. And as performers, we really use the audience's energy to, to decide on our rhythm sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, the reaction that you receive for something can kind of let you know how long you should sit in this moment. Yeah. And or how you should react to a certain something or what's going to move this audience's emotions in the correct directions. And yeah. When you don't have an, I mean, you do have an audience, it's just a television audience and you have no 
direct auditory response from them. Yeah. So, so it's it's really challenging to know. You have to kind of use experience of like, well, I think that the television audience are going to want to sit in this moment. Yeah. You know, that's tricky because we've had a lifetime of using the energy in the room to yeah. decide those things. So it definitely changed the way that you put things together and changed the way that you worked out there for sure. But actually a great challenge and a challenge that when we did work in uh, NXT UK, one thing that Shawn Michaels, who worked very closely with all of us, said was, you know, this is a challenge which only your generation has ever faced and God willing, only your generation will ever face. Like putting on a weekly episodic professional wrestling product in front of no audience is something that that none of the previous generations have had to do um and hopefully no one will have to do it again of course and and might we say here on the wrestling should be fun pod like we think you did a great job as well you know like the, some of the stuff in those empty arenas you know it, it was far more entertaining than what it had any right to be um, yeah, um, I think yeah. I think that the WWE did an incredible job with, uh, and and BT as well. I guess they worked in conjunction to set that room up the way they set it up. We had that the hard cam on a crane, which meant it could sweep around and sort of yeah. create a little bit of energy in that sense. And some of the performances in that empty arena, obviously the the one that stands out and everyone talks about is Ilya and Walter. I think is a great example of that match is almost better because there was no one there. Yeah, the empty room almost amplified the physicality of it. And I I think that historically, when people go back 10, 15, 20 years time and look at the empty arena time in era, yeah, yeah, era, that's the word I'm looking for in professional wrestling. I do think that that match will be one of the things that people point to in world wrestling as an example of how sometimes if you are good enough and understand how to use it to your advantage, you can make this a positive, not a negative. 100%. Mate, you just, um, I'll just pick up the little name that you dropped there, Shawn Michaels. Um, yeah. I like, oh, I, little name card. You just dropped yeah. drop the little name there. See how many of those I can do during the, I want you to call me out on every single one of them. Every single time I drop a name, I need you to say, hang on, I just, just pick that name up for you. Mate, you have every right to turn around and go, get fucked with all my work with that guy for three years, like 100%. I I guess I wanted to ask, like you've signed with WWE there, you've gone up and then you start working at a place called the UK Performance Centre, right? Like, which kind of gives this idea of development, I guess, to use a teaching term. When you signed up, did you feel like there's still more for me to learn or did you kind of feel like nah mate i'm ready for tv or was it a bit of both and and then and then also like i shouldn't ask two questions at once but anything you can tell us about Shawn michaels impact would be unbelievable so absolutely have have never nor will ever think that i know everything that i can possibly know or that i have developed fully or that i can't improve like i wrestled yesterday for progress wrestling and the first thing that i did when i went backstage was seek out peers whose opinions that i respect in that environment and ask them if they watched the match and if they had any feedback for me so i'm i'm always picking people's brains and always asking people you know what i could have done differently how they think that i could have made what i did better so I absolutely went in there with an open mind of 
uh, how these people can improve me. That being said, I do think that the business model for the NXT UK and our roster needed to be based on people who, whilst needed clearly to be developed, were all already TV ready or almost TV ready because the roster was small enough that all of us were needed on TV. Yeah, yeah, of course. All of us needed to be at least TV ready for the product that we were providing because we were pretty much using our entire roster on the the TV tapings, uh, especially over those when we were doing it up front during the uh, the arena times, you know, uh, pretty yeah. much roster was being used over those two days. Sean Michaels. And, yeah, Sean. Or like, what other coaches are you working with as well? Like there, there must be a few more names you can drop. Yeah. So um, the core coaching team evolved a little bit over time. When we were first there, we had Robbie Brookside and Johnny Moss. For the longest time, those were two of our main coaches. And then Matt Bloom would fly over as well as he's sort of like the the head coach over the whole of NXT, both North America and in the UK. And then they used to bring their strength and conditioning coach over a guy called Sean Hayes, who's just left NXT entirely, in fact. And I think he's working for an NFL team or something. But oh, I, wow. I cannot say enough good things about Sean Hayes. He's one of the most genuinely incredible people, just a, a wicked trainer, a wild work ethic. We didn't see him for the last, well, we didn't see him since the pandemic started, basically. They stopped flying him over. I'd send him messages because he'd still be providing us with strength and conditioning programs. And I'd send him messages being like, hey, Sean, what does this mean? And he'd send you a reply on Instagram within an hour, you know? Wow. Even though he's on the other side of the world. He's just unbelievable. Can't say enough good things about him. But yeah, back to the, the coaching team and then, that evolved when Robbie Brookside ended up staying over in the States more often than not during the pandemic. Uh, they brought on board James Mason as a coach, who's a guy who I'd worked with on the independence a lot. So I was uh, very familiar with him. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, obviously in the early days of the tapings, we had Triple H coming over and then that transitioned into Shawn Michaels, I think, because the idea was, you know, Triple H would be in charge of NXT. Shawn Michaels would be in charge of NXT UK with an idea that there'd be a progression upwards, I suppose, to, you know, Triple H transitioning into main roster and Shawn Michaels transitioning into North American NXT, which is exactly what happened in the end and is exactly where where we are now sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, so I think Sean, Sean always says that he has like a soft spot for the NXT UK brand because that was his first baby, you know? That was yeah. the, that was the first thing that he was getting that he was given control over, um, and then William Regal worked incredibly closely with our brand as well. I think that he was really instrumental in it ever becoming a thing in the first place. The bits of of information that you get from these people is just it's the smallest things, but they make the biggest difference, you know. Yeah. So, a lot of times it'll be in like uh, in like a skull environment, so an environment where we're watching our matches with them and they're critically analysing what we're doing. So we're watching on a television and they'll analyse it, you know what I mean? And uh, yeah. someone like a Regal is such a master of being a villain. He'll always yeah. challenge you if you're working in a villainous role. He'll always challenge you as like, you know, 
why would you do it this way when you could do it this way? Well, you know, yeah. why would you take the high road when you could take the low road? You know, and he's just such a master of being a villain. And um, I was speaking to Dan Maloney backstage at Progress yesterday, and we we were talking about that idea of a villain of not necessarily being someone who who has to take the low road because I can respect someone who does anything to win because they have to, but yeah. a true villain being someone who chooses to take the low road just because they're a bad person, you know? Yeah. Um, I love those kinds of uh, little tidbits of, of wisdom that these guys can impart upon you. But It's yeah. like that. Uh... Like, like Tupac said, I never did a crime that I didn't have to do. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? And yeah. he's, he's revered as a hero. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Worldwide. I yeah. think we've just cracked wrestling, mate. I think we've done. <laughs> <laughs> mate, that is so interesting. Like, I, I love that so much. Do you, I don't know, you don't have to tell us, like, is there anyone that you particularly formed a bond with, like, from that coaching team? Is there anyone that you still would text now and say, hey, how are you getting on? Or is it just a very yeah. professional sort of thing? So I, I feel like I could text the team there is just class acts. Just yeah. class acts one and all, you know? So if you're talking about, like, is there people who you feel like you could still text with now, pretty much every single one of them, I feel like I could message them and they would give a response, you know what I mean? It can be a little bit hard to mention anyone in particular without feeling like you're leaving people out, but yeah. it's, it's an interview, so I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, Mate, I, I'm, I'm sure that HBK loves wrestling should be fun pod each week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man, they'll still clip it. They'll clip it. It'll get out there. Uh, McGuinness, McGuinness is a big one for me. Yeah. So McGuinness was one of my favorite. Still, you know, still to this day is one of my favorite wrestlers. I think his Ring of Honor World Title run is some of the best body of work from any professional wrestler in any era. So the fact that he was our commentator was an absolute privilege. And if you ever sent him a match or asked him if he had feedback on a match, the level of depth that he would go into in sending a reply was just just humbling that someone who'd done so much in the industry would still take so much time to to analyze your work to try and improve you. So I've got nothing but good things to say about him. And then I got to give a shout out to Mossy, John Moss, just for how much of a genuine person he was during the, you know, I went through some tricky times, like personal, while we were doing NXT UK during the pandemic, during the empty arena stuff. And just his genuine care for the roster you know, and checking that you were okay and stuff. Because Mossy, for people who know him, he's like a big wrestler lad, big drinker, big character, big dude. He's just an absolute, I'm probably going to ruin his mystique here on the interview. He's just an absolute <laughs> sweetheart. He's just an absolute sweetheart. And he's just such a gentleman and treats you with such class and dignity. And I, I don't know, I can't say enough good things about him. That goes for so many of them. Like I've already touched on Sean Hayes replying to... <laughs> form cues on your squats and things and wow. yeah so many people there who would just just go above and beyond to try and make just because they are they're passionate about the industry yeah i feel like they could feel our passion 
it's, so it's, they wanted to respond in kind, you know? It's just so good to hear some positive chat. <laughs> <laughs> that's all you're going to get from me. Well, that's why you're a fit here, mate. We'll have you back every week if you want. This is, uh, <laughs> that's what we're all about here. Oh, that's so great. And you just... For the record, you know, McGuinness versus Danielson and Liverpool, it's collectively a wrestling should be fun top five favourite match ever. So, Oh, for real? Um, Unified? Yeah, yeah we I'm love not, it, mate. Yeah. I'm not sure how McGuinness feels about that one because of what he chose to do to his head on that ring. Oh, board, you know? mate, poor bastard, right? Like, yeah, that's probably that's probably just maybe uh, when we get McGuinness on this on this uh, format one day, maybe I won't use those words. Yeah, I know. I think, I think that he still appreciates that. So many people look upon the match with such reverence. I'm yeah. sure I've told him about it before. Yeah, yeah, we absolutely love it. Mate, you, you mentioned about like Regal and working as a villain. Like you worked as a villain most of your time in NXT UK. The entire time, eh? Yeah. Like, are, are, you, are you happy with that? Like, how comfortable were you with it at the time? Or did you sort of, did you miss having the opportunity to show the, I don't know, for lack of a better term, the goofball Eddie Dennis, you know, beer drinking, party hard guy? Yeah, so obviously when I arrived on the brand, I'd done the turn in most of the places on the British Indies. Yeah. So I'd done the turn at Progress and I'd done the turn at, attack pro wrestling when i was revealed as the leader of nothing approved so i was working as a villain in most of the promotions on the uk indies so it only made sense that i would be introduced as a villain on nxt uk and i was perfectly happy with that and comfortable with it and enjoyed the stuff that i was that i was given to do there only now because obviously you know none of us are sure whether we'll ever end up back there there is definitely a part of me that is like oh i wish i could have done party hard in the wwe on that platform you know i wish yeah because it you know it's very organically over and popular with an audience on an independent level and that goofball my true character coming out is infectious and works very well in front of an independent audience so i will there will be a part of me that always wonders how it would have got over want of a better term in the wwe but i massively appreciate all of the opportunities that that i did get to do there i try to always like try and say yes to everything and then try and make the best of everything so for example during the empty arena stuff when it was like we're going to align you with the hunt and we're going to make you a manager and you're going to be more of a mouthpiece okay sweet well i'm going to try and be the best of this that i yeah. can possibly be you know what i mean and I'm going to go and I'm going to watch Heyman and people like that. And I'm going to try, yep. I'm going to try and see where they stand at ringside and, you know, what they react to and what they don't react to. And, you know, how, how they make what's going on in the ring better rather than becoming a distraction to what's going on in the ring. And I embrace that challenge, you know, and, and try to do it to the best of my ability. So I really, really, really enjoy and massively appreciate all of the opportunities that I got given there. But for sure, there'll be a, a part of me that's always a little bit sad that we never got to do the, the punk rock version of my character on that platform. Because all of the characters that I've played in the last decade, it's all Eddie Dennis, you know, <laughs> my name is Edward Dennis. So like, yeah. it, it's all actually me and there's all, 
you know, it's all elements of it. The character in the WWE was an ex-head teacher. I, I am an ex-head teacher, you know, and yeah, the independence is like this happy-go-lucky guy who, you know, enjoys a beer and listening to punk rock music. And I'm a happy-go-lucky guy who enjoys a beer and listening to punk rock music. You know, it's just, you just amplify certain elements of your character for the chores and environment. But I would say that this incarnation of the character that's back on the independence now is probably closer to the person that you would meet backstage than the one that was being portrayed on uh, NXT. Yep. Both just super likable guys. That's what I'm putting forward. Mate, by, by our count, we think, I think, that uh, it might have been 22 matches in total, maybe televised matches in NXT UK. Sounds so, about right. Yeah. So a couple that stood out to us, like this is just us giving a shout out to a couple of our favourites, and maybe if you could add any more from your own mind or any any memories just because we're, you know, running through quickly. Um, there was that... There's that dog collar match with Boar, wasn't there? That yeah, one of my last, us. one of my last ones. Certainly, my um, it's a special one because it's with Boar, and I grew up on the scene with Boar, so to get to do that with him was great. It's special because the WWE really haven't done a lot of dog collar matches on television. Is it as hard to work as what it looks like a dog collar match? Like it looks bloody hard as far as wrestling matches go. Yeah, it's just the the chain moves in very unpredictable manners. Yeah. So you can think that the chain will go in a certain direction. It doesn't. And it's just because it is attached to you and attached to them that it's very easy to move in a direction and then end up getting tied up in it or tangled up in it. And there was definitely a few occasions out there when that happens. And also when, you know, if you fall in the ring, you fall in the ring and you think that the moment's over and then the chain falls down on top of you. And there's yeah. like a, a, a little bit extra, but I love the challenge. I love the fact that I got the opportunity to do it, you know, and it's one of those cool things that'll like the best thing about the WWE network is that that'll exist forever. Right. You know, I'll always be able to refer back to that time. I did a dog collar match on WWE TV. Mate, that's exactly it, man. And that's like, I, w- I wanted to ask you, like, we'll, we'll segue that way. Like, it must just be a dream come true. Like, looking back, you must really just be able to appreciate it. Is that the highlight, having things on the network? Like, were there other cool things that you look back on and go, hey, I, well, I don't know, did you have a trading card or anything cool like that? It turns out after I got released, I found out that there was two trading cards in me, but I never knew. <laughs> well. Mate, you're like, I'm sure you'll find them when the yeah, time Yeah, well, actually, so I put out on social media that I was like, I had no idea that these things existed, but I'd love to own one. And then some fans reached out and were like, yo, I've got one of these. Give me your address. I'll send it to you. So um, hopefully yeah. I'm going to end up getting a copy of one to stick in my... Uh, we have a... I can't tell a lie. We don't have anything up on the walls, but we have a memory box in our home. So we have yeah. a box full of things that mean something and uh they'll take pride of place in the memory box that's really nice that's yeah that's wonderful mate we we could talk about like in-ring stuff all day but i know we are on a time frame here so one last sort of in-ring thing i wanted to ask you about was like i said we're a progress really progress fan group wrestling should be fun and we've been going monthly for almost a decade you were the progress champion whilst on the wwe books right um, uh yeah yeah like and then there's the big moment in ali pally like we were all there for it did you sort of feel like 
there was added pressure for you, like having that spot in progress whilst under WWE contract, if I can put it that way, or was it just another day at the office? Yeah, no, not really. I almost saw the two of them as two different beasts. Yeah. But so there was the stuff that I was doing on the independence, and then there was the stuff that I was doing in the WWE for NXT UK. The whole NXT UK time is obviously just absolutely littered with injuries. Um, yeah. In fact, the entire run from going full-time is littered with injuries. So I obviously tore one pack in 2018, tore the other pack in 2019, uh, separated my shoulder in 2020, and then ended up having uh, a meniscectomy on one of my knees in 2021. So I literally didn't get through a single calendar year during my time being employed by the company without being injured and on the shelf at one point. So I was injured. I wasn't cleared to compete when I won the belt in Ali Pali. Yeah, wow. So we did that as, you know, that played out the way it played out in part because I wasn't cleared to compete full stop, you know? And then I got cleared while I had the belt and then I got hurt while I had the belt. So I got cleared and, you know, I did um, a couple of title defenses. I did one against the OJMO at Unboxing, which I'm real proud of. I really like that one. And then yeah. I did the takeover match with Trent. Um, and then the week later, we did the Steel Corners street fight on NXT UK TV and everything was kicking and I was doing a lot of stuff that I was really happy with. And then I separated my shoulder in that match with Trent. And then the day after at progress is when I relinquished the belt. So yeah, no extra pressure. It just ended sooner than I would have liked it to, you know what I mean? That uh, the year of 21, I would have loved to have done a bunch of title defenses. And us as well, you know, like, but even it, it's almost like you say, it can't be taken away. Like, yeah, exactly. Like, just talking to you, I can tell you're not like a big guy who's like, oh, you know, I was champion this many times or anything like that, you know, but I'm saying this from a fan's perspective, you can be proud of that, man. Like it, it really was. But I've related to your character for a long time as a teacher myself, you know, and I really, I've related to your story. And I remember when that happened, just being like, what a fucking dude. Like, this is so cool. Like, just the, the way it sort of came, in my eyes, a bit full circle after you took the plunge. A hundred percent. I love that whole, like, I genuinely love, like, some of it was happenstance due to injuries and stuff, but I do love the whole character arc of yeah. taking the plunge in 2017 and then turning on Mark in Ali Pali in 2017 and then wrestling him in Wembley in 2018 and then reuniting with him and stealing the belt in Ali Pali in 2019. Um, I think that like as a body of work as like a long form story, which like long form storytelling is my favorite aspect of professional wrestling. So I think as long form storytelling on an independent where you don't have a weekly episodic television show to, to move things forward I think to have a, a story that takes two years to play yeah. out in its entirety and that we manage to put pivotal moments. So obviously the first turn happens in Ali Pali in the September. And then the first time he physically fights back is in Alexandra Palace at Super Strong Style in the May. And then we finally fight in Wembley in the September. And then we have the reunion with like the party hard curtain call in super strong style in Alexandra Palace the subsequent May, and then we steal the belt in the September in Alexandra Palace. I think it's really cool to have done that over two years and managed to have hit the big shows for all of those two years. It's pretty, uh, a pretty special little period of time there. 
Yeah, man. And like, it may, like, it may go down as the most successful period in British independent, you know, history, you know, like that running those, uh, those venues with progress. And then it was bringing up all the other companies as well. It, it re- you know, there's no denying everyone knows it. it's, it's the most cliche thing to say, but the business was hot brother. Yeah. It was uh, booming. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Boom. Yeah. And you know, you were there. It's yeah. It's just great. And we, we loved all that body of work as you, as you called it. it outstanding. Mate, just rounding up then with sort of the maybe the career introspective. I, we, we're going to get back to the independent scene in a second, but I, I guess I people would be yelling down their phones at me if I didn't just sort of ask about the end of NXT UK and transitioning into NXT Europe. Now, I'm not looking for any scoop about your <laughs> release or anything like that, man. I just want to know, like, do you think that if this NXT Europe thing does get off the ground, maybe you have some inside information there, but are there any lessons that, you think could be taken forward after your time in NXT UK? Do you think that anything has to be done differently? Or if you're in charge, what would you do? I don't have any insider knowledge. I wish I had insider knowledge. Massively appreciative of my time there um, and would welcome the opportunity to work there again if something came up. NXT Europe, what would I do? I always wanted us to be on the road. Yeah. So I would love to have a roster of WWE wrestlers in Britain slash Europe doing appropriate sized venues on a house show loop, you know, a small scale house show loop on a Friday, Saturday, Sunday, every week, you know, so you do Swansea, yeah. Cardiff and Newport one week and then you do Wolverhampton, Coventry and Birmingham the next week and then you go up to Scotland the week after and then you go over to Ireland the week after and then you go down to, you know, London and Reading and, you know, Brighton Brighton the, the, the week after, you know, and you do Liverpool and Manchester and Leeds or something the week after and then maybe you go over to Europe and you do Paris yeah. and a couple of other places in France and maybe you go to Germany and maybe you go to Spain and I think that if you'd have created those clusters if you could create those clusters of three relatively close uh, relatively regional cities all around Britain I think you could have done it all around Britain to be honest and run those venues twice a year you only need to find 26 little clusters and you're running every single weekend so you take you take away a couple of weekends here and there let's say you're only planning on running 40 weekends which is still a wild schedule then you need 20 clusters I think I could sit down in 15 minutes and get together 20 clusters. So if you could have found the appropriate venues and they could have made that work financially, that would have been my preference. I loved the studio setup once we started getting fans in there. I thought it was sad that the fans within the studio setup was relatively short-lived. So I, I would have loved it if it was, you know, the television show itself was based out of that TV studio type environment. And we maybe continued to film, you know, blocks of episodes at a time. And then we took it out on the road on the weeks in between and just ran small scale house show loop. Yeah. That would have been the kind of thing that I would have really liked to have seen um, the brand do because it was full of people who were passionate about wrestling, who if there was one element of the whole experience that, frustrated people it was just that we wanted to be working more 
Yeah, of course. Just, yeah, that we just I, like, I, out in front of people performing more than we were. I know absolutely nothing about wrestling and the business side of things other than just watching it for 30 years. But like, I, I cannot see how that wouldn't be a successful business model because then all of a sudden, in a, in a similar way to progress is for us here in England and now uh, Wales as well, all of a sudden that becomes your brand. And that's yeah. like, you, you wait for them to come back. And it's like, in the eyes of those fans going to those house shows, these are our superstars. It, yeah. And it just, I, I couldn't see how that wouldn't be successful. You know, who knows? Maybe like you said, if there was another opportunity in the future, who's to say that it won't, it might not still happen. Um, I heard, uh, I actually heard Trent Seven say something similar about his idea for a, for the business model. And it was very similar to what you just outlined as I well. Mean, what I have just said is definitely a conversation that me and Trent have had in cars or yeah. Several several journeys over the past couple of years. I know we, we definitely were on the same wavelength on what we would have loved to have uh, to have seen the brand develop into, and indeed what what it might be developing into with this NXT Europe. I have no idea, but maybe that's why they they've gone away for a little while is to get all their ducks in line to be able to do something like that. You know? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, like we can only hope as as fans of wrestling. Um, and especially live wrestling, you know, that's, yeah. that's what we Nothing like. matches it, right? Nothing matches it. That may exactly. And like, it's, it is a special thing. Like I've never taken anyone to a wrestling show, an indie wrestling show, progress, whatever. Eve, we used to go to a lot and I've never taken someone that didn't enjoy it on some level, even if it's just getting drunk and swearing in a, in an environment that's safe. I've never had anyone that didn't love it. Yeah. It's, I completely agree. Yeah, it's just it's just the best, and I, I don't have a lot outside of this wrestling should be fun, where I've got twenty five wrestling friends. I don't have that many, so <laughs> I, I was the only wrestling kid in my town. So um, yeah, yeah, this is just us saying get down to progress this Sunday in the ballroom, mate. Heck should we yeah. talk a bit about it? You're back on the indies now. Should we? Uh, Let's do it. Let's talk yeah. about the indies. <laughs> So it's chapter 145, Wrestling Witch Face. I'm expecting some Halloween sort of stuff. Mate, first and foremost, Ed, we got to ask about yourself. So yesterday you said you wrestled and teaming with Mark Andrews, FSU again. Uh, first question is, is it actually fuck shit up? Is that the actual acronym? I cannot confirm nor deny what the name of the team is based upon for fear of repercussions. It can mean a lot of different things. It can mean Friends Stand United. It can mean what you just said. Yeah. Um, it, it has different meanings depending on what mood we're in. Excellent. And was it like a comfortable old T-shirt that you put on, mate? Did it did it just feel safe again, like Marcus Truscothic opening the batting? Did it feel yeah, good? Yeah, um, I mean, whether we're at, at odds with one another or whether we're beside one another, it's safe to say that me and Mark have been close to one another for pretty much my entire professional wrestling life and most of his as well so that chemistry is it, it it doesn't go away because you haven't wrestled as a tag team for the last several years because you've still spent countless hours with one another over the yeah. past several years so that chemistry doesn't go anywhere and i think that you see that kind of chemistry in other teams in the uk right now you know you see that kind of chemistry with guys like cpf close personal friends and with sunshine machine as well like i know mambo really 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 well and i know mambo and tk are they're just genuinely the best of friends yeah so yeah. 
when you have that level of actual friendship and chemistry with one another, it's just impossible for that not to bleed through onto the television screen. You know what I mean? It, it's or, 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 or bleed through into the to the live audience as the case may be in that that instance. I always used to think that people would ask, you know, you'd have wrestlers and things ask, oh, how come when you and Mark come out to party hard, it's such a, you know, you get such a visceral response from the audience. And it's a banging tune and we're popular, good guys and whatever. But I honestly think that one of the biggest parts is everyone can see that we're the best of friends having the best of time. Yeah. And once, yeah, 100%. You know, it's it's unmistakably authentic. And it's relatable. Yeah, of course. Oh. Who hasn't? Who hasn't? You know, jammed out to their their favorite tune in a rock club with their best mate. Yeah. Um, it's yes, yeah, just infinitely relatable. It's a great yeah. way to describe it. So I I don't think the reason partially that I've done your match first rather than bringing it home with the main event here on our preview is I don't think you've got a opponent announced. Um, so we're not here to break any news if it hasn't been announced. I'm right in thinking that, right? Yeah, no, we don't have a we don't have an opponent announced. There's a couple of people uh, in the works, but nothing be made official yet. You know, yesterday we took on the uh, Darius and Omari, incredible, incredible wrestlers. Omari absolutely blew me away. He's absolutely strong as an ox, and Darius has wow. got the most crazy schedule in all of British independent wrestling. He just wrestles twice a day, every day, or something. Right. He's definitely, he, he puts some like jab up on Twitter before the match over how he respected me and Mandrews, but he's had more matches this month than we've had in the last three years. Like it yeah. actually probably is true. He probably yeah. wrestled more times in October than I wrestled in all of 2018, 2019, 2020 and 2021. So fair play when you're right, you're right. And uh, and it shows you still, still, well. you still succumbed in the end, didn't you? You still succumbed in the end. <laughs> Let him know. I, like and the schedule shows for that fella. Like the way that he's come ahead, it really feels like from a progress perspective, he was one of the real winners out of the empty arena era. Yeah. I'm trying to remember where they ran those shows. Peckham, that's right, Peckham. And out of the Peckham era, it felt like coming out of that, it's like, wow, this guy, he is a star. You know, and I think that people are really starting to realise that, whether it's in Scotland, Germany, all over the UK or elsewhere. Um, I'm looking at the schedule now. We said that I had 22 matches for WWE, right? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, he wrestled on the 1st of October, 2nd, 3rd, 7th, 8th, 9th, 15th, 16th, 18th, 21st, 23rd, 24th, 25th, 26th, 27th, 28th, 29th, 30th, 31st. Man, he's pretty close to having more wrestling matches in October than I had in my entire WWE run. That is unbelievable. Wow. Fair, fair play to the inexhaustible Doris. Nothing but respect. Yeah. So uh, from one young talent uh, to a couple others, uh, on Sunday in the ballroom, we've got both semi-finals for the NPS. Was um, that right? Both of them? Yeah, so, say that again, sorry. I, I wasn't aware that both of them were on uh, on Sunday. That's exciting stuff. Yeah, I believe so. So I think on the one side of the bracket, I think we got Leon Slater and uh, Ricky Knight Jr. Yeah. Um, that's a rematch. I'm, I'm using Ross's notes now, dear listener. You know that I'm not doing <laughs> research on this shit. Uh, <laughs> So I believe that's a rematch from a match that we did see in the ballroom a couple of months ago in uh, Ricky Knight 
Junior's debut. And I, I, like, I'm not going to ask you to, you know, give a prediction or anything like that for all these matches. But really, I just wanted to ask you, like, your thoughts on the young talent in progress. The other semi is uh, Nico Angelo, who we saw a lot of in um, the Dome at Tufnell Park for Attack yep. back in the day. Um, and he's facing Tate Mayfair's uh, friend of the show, Tate Mayfair's, who we've had here on the show before. Like, those four young men. I mean, like, I don't know, this is a really hacky, lazy question for me, but thoughts? Yeah, let's go through them. I think it's kind of crazy at this stage that Ricky Knight Jr. is considered a young guy. He's the uh, Revolution Pro Wrestling heavyweight champion. Um, and yeah, yeah. just had a five-star match with Will Ospreay. So it's kind of crazy to be um, considering him in that elk. He's a worldly talent um, and just looks like he would kick your head and just has that just a, a, an attitude and aura and a presence about him that he could really mess you up. Leon is, I think, 17, maybe. Yeah, I and think that's right. Absolutely huge and absolutely wildly athletic. And there seems to be nothing that he physically can't do. The Swanton 450 is the wildest thing I've ever seen in my life. I'll let you know that I invented that. Obviously, I've never done it myself, but with my action figures as a kid, I can believe it. That is definitely the kind of thing that you would do with your action figures that real human beings should never be able to do. But yeah. there he is uh, doing it on a on a nightly basis. He's unreal talent. And then Tate's just a tool, isn't he? He's just a horrible little human being. <laughs> yeah. Can't get rid of him. Uh, <laughs> um, I don't know. I don't know how fourth wall I should get with Tate because I kind of I kind of love him, but he yeah. is a bit of a tool, isn't he? You know, <laughs> they, they, they well, pretty close to me. So we spend a bit of time together here and there, to be honest. And um, I could shoot right now and uh, explain what a hardworking dude he is. But, um, you know, yeah. the gimmick is real. He's just a bit of a tool. <laughs> you will like b- both parts of the gimmick. You know, it it's not mutually exclusive. You can be a hardworking tool. That's, yeah, that's there you go. I mean, you know, by definition, right? Tools work hard. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And he definitely does. And and then Nico is like this crazy athlete who used to be a powerlifter, so can still like I don't know, deadlift two hundred and fifty kilos or something. Holy but, shit! That's but can, yeah. do, but can do shooting star presses. So I don't know. He's just absolutely mind boggling. Um, as uh, an athlete and also a really nice guy as well. So all four of those people are unreal. Absolutely unreal. Even Tate. There, I said it. Clip it up. I know you will. We we, we love Tate here on the Wrestling Should Be Fun pod. Like I said, he's he's joined us before and, um, you know, very generous with his time with us. So, um, but also I'll tell you, I wasn't on that episode, right? And Ross made the mistake of um, saying that he was, in a way, similar to Spike Trevay. And oh. Tay, mate, I've never seen, off the top of his head, he ripped out, if it was on TV, it would have been promo of the year. He fucking sprayed Ross. It was one of the greats. Like It was like honestly, like what you know, excellent, excellent stuff. We loved you it so much. It. You loved yeah. it. That's probably because he's been told that on countless occasions. So he's got it in his back yeah. pocket. And if yeah. anyone dares compare him to Spike, <laughs> Bay, he has a million and one reasons why his character is completely different. I have a similar thing when people try to compare me in appearance to George Clooney, but that's, you know, that's something. Oh, uh, I see. I mean, I, to be honest, knowing you and knowing George quite well, I can see yeah. where the confusion lies. 
yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's lucky this isn't a video medium. Um, <laughs> uh, what else we got on the show? Uh, we got, oh, mate, the big one. Are you a football fan? Like, yeah. what? As if we've got this Akin Fenwa coming to be in the corner of Anthony Agogo against Malik with uh, with his what valet manager, uh, the Costa K, I think we're calling him. Yeah, so um, I know who Anthony Agogo is. Uh, I definitely know who Malik and Costa is. I haven't got a Scooby Doo, this guy is, but apparently it's a big deal. But yeah, to be uh, honest, Jurgen Klopp could be coming to the ballroom and I wouldn't recognize him. So. You know what? That's refreshing. For once <laughs> in my life, I sound like I might be the person that knows a little bit more about football. It never <laughs> happens to me ever. I'm a, you know, cricket and rugby league and obviously wrestling are my, my game. So, yeah. Well, we're, we're excited to see. I'll, any chance I get, though, if I can sort of get next to him and just, you know, a little bit of a side mouth, ah, he's not that big. I, uh, <laughs> I, I'll see if I get the courage after a few pints of the black stuff. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mate, what else we got? WXW, I think it's the shotgun title. Oh, my um, old friend Maggot. Maggot, your old friend Maggot. My old against, buddy Maggot. As Ross informs me, it's against a mystery opponent. So Ross asked me if I would ask you, is it going to be you? Uh, I mean, I'm busy that day because okay. I'm, def- I'm definitely tagging with Mark Andrews. <laughs> that, is, yeah. that, is, that, that is the agreed uh, act that I will be partaking in on Sunday. Um, and I'm certainly not wrestling twice. Like like Darice says, I don't wrestle at busy schedules. So. <laughs> I still have to be doing two matches in one evening. I wanted to ask you, we obviously can't say much about the matches. We don't know who is in it. But WXW, Ed, I, I see that, you know, are, are you sort of hoping to broaden your horizons, do a uh, bit yeah, more international I'd, stuff? Yeah, I'd love to get out there to WXW. One of the promotions that I never wrestled for, actually, so... I definitely know that I'm back, you know, full-time kicking it on the indies. I'd love to get an opportunity to get up to WXW myself and the Wild Boar, my kitchen, are heading up to Canada in November to do some coaching at Battle Arts Academy. And I'll be popping up on a couple of the independent shows around Canada um, over November. And I'd love to do similar um, international stays, if you like, in different scenes uh, yeah. around the place in 2023 and WXW is definitely on the bucket list for sure obviously incredible talent like Walter and Axeman and Axel yeah. and Maggot coming out of that out of that system so who would yeah. be involved in it right yeah exactly my my own personal favorite Bobby Guns like yeah yeah, yeah. What, what else? Two more, I think, on the card. The Lana Austin experience against, I've written down here, Kanji's crew, because obviously I was too lazy to write down four names and I thought I'd remember. But you can't remember. And I can't remember. It's, uh, who would it be? Millie McKenzie's in there. Rio is in there. And who else would it be? Creed, something like that. Raven Creed, maybe. Raven Creed. Raven Creed, yeah. Against the Lana Austin experience. We love the Lana Austin shtick, uh, if we may call it that. I hope that's not disrespectful. But the the big talking point is, about, is irritating. Yeah. Yeah. And really funny, we find. But it's the muscle that's getting everyone talking, right? Uh, L.A. Taylor? L.A. Taylor, mate. What can you tell us about L.A., if I may call it that? Well, I can say that I tagged with L.A. Taylor, a pro wrestling creation on Friday this week. Okay. 
So, um, you know, maybe I'm going to end up in the Lana Austin experience because I do have that link with LA Taylor. I'm not going to end up in the Lana Austin experience before um, that becomes clickbait. Um, <laughs> yeah, she is a very physically intimidating lady who is very strong and very athletic and very talented. And I'm sure that if her career trajectory continues, then the world will be her oyster in a mere few years. Ms. Taylor, if I hope I've got your pronouns correct. If you're looking for a manager at all, Dominic Philp on the mic, not too hard, not too soft, but just right. We're getting on the ground floor. Yeah, you are very, uh, you're, you're very competent on the microphone there, Dom. Thanks, mate. That's mate. Put that on my uh, on my tombstone. Dominic <laughs> competent, competent on the mic. On the mic. <laughs> Praise from Caesar. I think this is <laughs> Thank you. Mate. Likely That's above right. average club level cricketer. Yeah, that is correct. Uh, competent on the mic. I do want to get a T-shirt, mate. Gen- this is completely. Why am I wasting your time with this story? <laughs> But I, um, I do a bit of commentary for my cricket club now. I didn't play this year, but I score and I commentate on this thing called a frog box. So I've, I've come up with this idea for a T-shirt and it'll just be amongst school teachers, I'm the best cricket commentator and amongst <laughs> cricket commentators, I'm the best school teacher. Yeah. I love it. That's great yeah. stuff. That's great stuff. I'm the yeah. best head teacher that ever wrestled for WWE. <laughs> Yeah, I, and I, I, I think that must be true. Simon Dean, or not Simon Dean, Dean Douglas, he was just a Dean. That wasn't a I'm questioning the authenticity of his questions. <laughs> what an era that was. Which I think, pro- well, I, I'm, I'm guessing that you might be the main event on Sunday, mate, but of my main event here on my run sheet is Tom Dawkins versus Bullet. Now, if you're not too sure who Bullet is, dear listener, that is Spike Treve's heavy, who we don't know a lot about. I do want to ask you about Spike Treve's last couple of years, Ed. But firstly, do you know much about Bullet? Like from a, uh, you said the fourth wall. Like, can you can you give us a bit of an insight into this lad, or do you not know much about uh, him? Yeah, I know a little bit about him. I know that he has spent the last couple of years working closely with an extremely talented British wrestler by the name of Joel Redman. Um, oh yeah, and he has sharpened his skills with. Uh, Joel and has been a bit of a mainstay on the sort of camp runs around the UK for the last couple of years and he is arriving at progress ready to rock and roll so I would expect him to impress when he gets his opportunity against uh, Mr Dawkins uh, yeah. on Sunday. Outstanding um, and then I really, I did just want to ask you of Tom Dawkins. I, I believe it was announced that if he can get past Bullet, Tom might get an opportunity to wrestle Spike Trevay, um, in the future. But I really just wanted to ask you. I know we don't like to say too many nice things about Trevay, but have you been able to keep up with his last couple of years and what we think is one of really just a proper glow up? What are your thoughts? Yeah, so I had more than a hand in the development of Spike Trevay as a professional wrestler. And as much as being packaged pile driver twice and glass bottled and passing out in the capital city of the country where I am from is not a pleasant experience, I cannot help but be somewhat proud of the performer and professional wrestler that Spike Trevay has become over the last 18 months. And I think that 
if things go the right way, there is absolutely no reason why he couldn't be just an absolutely... To me, he is probably the most integral part in how progress wrestling develops and continues to progress in the next 12 to 18 months. The way he is handled and the way his career trajectory progresses, I think will be absolutely essential to how that company performs in the next two years. So he is an absolutely hateful human being, but there is a level of respect there, shall we say. Excellent. Well put for sure. I, of course, have forgotten the match. I think maybe the main event will actually be Atlas Championship, another friend of the show. We had Big Damo on the show a couple of weeks ago, Ed. What a dude. Mate, what a fucking dude. Like you and I, we like to chat. That guy loves a babble. Yeah, loves, loves, loves a chat. What a dude. And, and we loved him for it. It was unreal. Like, yeah, I strongly recommend that episode. That would have been episode uh, 69, dear listener, I believe, or 68. Uh, no, nothing funny about that. So Big Damo versus Luke Jacobs. This is the rubber match. This is their third time wrestling after once in the Atlas tournament, once when Damo beat him for the title, and now for the first time in the ballroom, Atlas title. Ed, I'm going to ask you, uh, have you got a prediction for us? Have I got a prediction? So put you on the spot, mate. I'm sorry. Big demo to retain. Big demo to retain. No Vader bomb one, two, three. He's just a lad, isn't he? He's just a lad. He's just a big, hairy lad. Excellent. But go Vader back in time to the first ever Super Strong Style tournament. And night two, there's a big six, eight, ten man tag, crazy scramble thing. And it's old Eddie Dennis. Old part-time <laughs> pro wrestler, full-time school teacher Eddie Dennis that picks Big Demo upside down, drops him with an X-stop driver, scores a one, two, three, and is victorious. My only interaction with Big Demo in a professional wrestling ring, I defeated him. Absolutely outstanding. You still had the strength, even back then in your teaching days. Even the, back uh, then in my part-time days, mate, I could still yeah. do it. Triple H once described me as wiry strong. Mate, that's unreal, because I'm pretty sure he used to call CM Punk skinny fat. So yeah, there you go. CM Punk, skinny fat, Eddie Dennis, wiry, wiry strong. strong. Mate, that's unreal. What a scoop that we're clipping that one up. If I can get a t shirt made before Sunday, you'll see me, okay? Wiry <laughs> strong. Say, Eddie Dennis, and then he's going to say, wiry strong <laughs> in, uh, in, you know, quotation marks, Triple H. Yeah, Triple H. <laughs> Brilliant. Harvard references. that's that's absolutely lovely stuff and i I think you like i said you've been more than generous with your time much more than what we asked for and i really appreciate it but it's just been i go to bed at 10 o'clock you know yeah mate so do i mate (laughs) mate, at least you haven't got six periods tomorrow i do yeah Uh, Uh, how do you know i could be on cover Oh, that's mate. Oh, chase. Oh, I better not say where I work. Actually, that was close. <laughs> uh, yeah, we'd love to have you in one day. Um, what was I going to say, mate? We're just going to wind things down here, but I, I can't thank you enough. Before we do, number one, I've I've dropped the fact that there's a couple of people who we've had on the show in previous weeks here. Um, just so you know, I'm I'm now putting in a new rule. Anyone that's been on the Wrestling Should Be Fun podcast has to join me at the bar for a beer on Sunday. So you, Damo, Tate, we'll all be there, right? Let's uh, let's Very raise good. one for the returning Eddie Dennis full time wrestler. Let's do it. The returning yeah. FSU to the ballroom. 
Mate, I cannot wait. Will the, you'll hear the, the scene of our first crime where we stole the Progress Wrestling Tag Team Championships. Mate, I cannot wait. Unbelievable. We're uh, we're looking forward to it so much. Ed, again, thanks for your time. Is there anything that you'd like to shout out? Where are we uh, going to support you now that you're back on the Indies? Merch, social media, what do you got? What have we got going? So Twitter is at EddieDennis1986. Instagram is at EddieDennis. Facebook, I'm not even sure. Facebook.com forward slash Wrestling, maybe. And my sum up store for my merchandise. But uh, if you go to my Twitter or my Instagram, you can find all of the links to everything else. Me and Mandrews have a new FSU t-shirt up on my sum up store. Uh, we've got a limited run of them and I need to get them out of the house before the wedding. So uh, <laughs> bring, bring your pennies to Riot Cabaret tomorrow. Bring your pennies to the ballroom yeah. on Sunday. And yeah. let's get let, let's get those shifted and let's get that box out of my landing. And that is, and I should, I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, shout out to Riot Cabaret. I went last month, Tuesday night wrestling. It fucking rocks. Uh, yeah, I really had a great time. You know, you know, you never know. Maybe I'll get a last minute ticket tomorrow. I'll see how my day is. Get uh, over there tomorrow. The return of FSU to London. Yeah. So you uh, of what's ahead on Sunday? Just a little taste. Just, just the tip. Just, I just a that. little taste, a start, <laughs> an aperitif. Hors d'oeuvre. Okay, I really got to let you go. Thank you so much to Eddie Dennis. Thank you most of all to you, dear listener. Shout out to Phil Stopford, editor. Google him if you want any quality editing work done. He makes this sound all good for your ears. Until next week, guys, this has been Don Philp on the mic. Not too hard, not too soft, but just right. Drink lots of water. Look after your mates. Wrestling should be fun. Should be fun. Wrestling should be fun. Wrestling should be fun. Should be fun. Wrestling should be fun. Wrestling should be fun.